Arteta! What a everybody and all i can say is blow the whistle ref this is the arsenal vision post-match podcast my name is smith you can block me on twitter yankee gunner yeah i think blow up ref is what i would say this uh this year can't end fast enough and thankfully by the time you're listening to this it may be over already um so all i want to do is just say a very happy healthy new year to you and your family a, a better 2021 ahead even if you had a half decent 2020 i still hope that it's a better 2021, but I think for a lot of us, safe to say, uh, 2020 will not be a year we'll be looking back on with much fondness from a life standpoint or maybe even a football standpoint. But the the year is going out decently, dare I say, dare I tempt fate, win over Chelsea, win over Brighton, um, and we are here to discuss it diligently on New Year's Eve. Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pause With My Pants. Happy New Year, my friend. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Happy New Year, my friend. Hello, hello. Notice, uh, dear listener, that I have wished both of these gentlemen a happy new year, and they uh, neither of them uh, wish me a happy new year in return. Oh, oh yeah, <clears> so, yeah, happy new year. We couldn't hear your, your internet's a bit dodgy. We couldn't hear you. Yeah, <laughs> that, that excuse works most of the time. And I, you know what? I, yeah. I'll, I'll allow it. Um, so, so, we're, so, Elliot, we're into the criticism part of the the pod. I, like, I was just thinking before I came on this, you know the way over at mm-hmm. uh, the Ars cast. Andrew and James have those nice little chats at the start, and Andrew asks James how things are going and stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we never have that. And like, I had this dream last night, right? Mm. And uh, you and I, before that, you and I had this WhatsApp chat. Mm. Did you see it, Clive? We had a long last WhatsApp night. chat. WhatsApp yeah, chat WhatsApp about Hector Bellerin and then messages. Obama. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, I minded me on business last night, and Elliot starts up with this. Yang's contract thing again and 15 minutes later I am fucking lying on the sofa clasping my chest from heart pain mm. and like it's just I'm fucking hell and like I go to bed about 10 minutes later and I end up having this dream where I'm like in an assassin's group uh, but they've decided they need to terminate me and Frank Lampard chases me around this bazaar uh, like uh, James Bond style, this chase through a bazaar for an hour, trying to stab me to death. So yeah, thanks, Elliot. Well, thanks I, for that. I didn't want to let the cat out of the bag before the new year, Paul, but I've just about inked a new sponsorship deal with a um, uh, blood pressure medication company. So this this is all just <laughs> a setup to help sell product, uh, as is the podcast generally. Um, so now that that is out of the way, and, and I will tell you that while the Arscast does have a nice uh, amicable introductory conversation uh it is andrew is lovely to james yes but but we have a deep disdain for one another and so there is no need for such pleasantries <laughs> the only thing holding us together is the fiber of the conversation about arsenal that we just about tolerate and and thank you for tolerating this long intro we had a, a big chat ahead of time about how this was going to be a quick 45 minutes and out we go because it's new year's eve and we are now roughly four minutes into the podcast having not even started <laughs> the podcast so with that having been said clive i will let you start the podcast um and you know it's interesting right like i think the the thing about football is you can zoom really deeply into a game or really far out over a season and wind up with wildly different 
pictures that you get, uh, uh, an analysis that you're inevitably going to do. So the reason I bring that up is that this is a game where you can choose to focus on the 20 minutes from halftime to the goal and see phenomenal green shoots of recovery continuing, silver linings everywhere, fantastic connection and interplay and counterattacking football. Or you can choose to zoom into the first half and worry that some of the signs of of attacking challenges still exist. You can zoom into the period after the goal and, and question whether we defended properly. I, I think it is an interesting game in terms of the way you may want to perceive the season. And so I will simply ask you, in looking at this game, I, I probably know the answer in terms of which segment you want to emphasize, but do you have a sense of why the big change occurred, the, the challenges we faced in the first half versus the what I thought was really phenomenal dynamic attacking for the first 20 minutes of the second half? Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, this one. I, I love football. I, I just love. God, I hope so. You talk game. about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what I love about it is you, you turn up, right? You turn up, you do, you prepare for a game, you get your players, you pick your players, and you have the last game in your mind, and then the next game starts, and you've got a new problem. Right? What is a new problem? This, where does this come from? So the first game was almost like an. Uh, we started off quite bright, you know, a little bit of legacy from the previous Chelsea game. And then we settled into what I call an academy game. When you watch academy football, I spent a lot of time watching academy football. It almost becomes a pattern play, a passing show. And so we all passed around and we all looked good. We popped it in, popped it out, went around, dinked it down the line. They got the ball, passed it around, dinked it in, popped it in the middle, upset, dinked it down the line give it away, and we just did this for about half an hour until <laughs> eventually we can see some chances. And sometimes you can get lulled into a, just lulled into a game that you don't want to play. You forget to play. You end up playing what's in front of you. You end up playing the opposition. You end up playing the moment. You know, I love the soft factors of football and how one day you can be amazing. One five minutes you can be amazing. The next five minutes you're not. So why is that? Why does that happen? And you have to remember there's an opposition. What's well, like going to a boxing fight? You think you're good. You think you've done your training. And someone smacks you right on the chin. You think, yeah, what do I do now? Do you know what I mean? And it becomes how you react to these moments. And what I always look for in a game, and you know, particularly watching Arsenal, I look for our reaction to, what, to the problems that we're being faced with. And I thought we reacted really well to, I wouldn't say a problem, but just a game state and... Game states for everything for me. What's happening now? Why are we doing certain things? And if you looked at the game, we just, compared to Chelsea game, we just went back to our, not lack of confidence self, but our passive selves. We didn't quite take what was on offer for us. And we felt a bit confident. But to be confident, we thought, well, you know, we'll go and get that bit later. We won't play that ball through. We'll, we'll get that well in five minutes. I don't know. If the opportunity is there to pass, pass. You know what I mean? And I felt that that was obviously the team talk opportunities there to pass it pass it pass mm-hmm. it to the guy in the most dangerous position don't miss about one touch pass because from there the movement starts the rotation starts and then you think oh this is easy we look so much better so what's changed we're just doing what's obvious do it quicker faster more intent and then everything else will come back and what really pleased me is that whoever decided it whether it the players or the management they weren't accepting that crap for the first half. They weren't accepting the go back to where we were. We've got a new level of confidence and we're going to play. 
Mm. That's what we did after halftime, and it just it just sort of changed. I do think that there's some instructive stuff in the way Brighton approached this game, and in terms of why we had a good period when we did, because I thought it was a pretty weak Brighton lineup, and it was obviously a first half that just kind of went by without much incident. Um, I think everybody knows by now we had one shot in that half, but Brighton really didn't have a big attacking intent. You then fast forward to the second half, and during the period that we would consider dominant, and it was dominant. I mean, we had 11 shots in the game. From halftime to the goal, we had nine shots, three on target, one big chance, right? But here's what's interesting during that period. They had 24 attacking third passes to our 15. They had a lot more territory during that period than they had in the first half. <clears throat> and I thought they felt that there was something in the game for them. And they came at us a bit. And we really did an effective job uh, turning the ball over and creating transition opportunities and really just moving the ball with the right tempo and directness when we got it to counterattack. You know, I, I think one thing that has disappointed me about this team in the past is when we've had opportunities to counter, the precision hasn't been there. But in Smith Rowe and Martinelli and Saka, you saw a different level of quality to the way the counterattacking passes were played. I also thought that uh, Bellerin and Tierney on each side were uh, contributors to that as well. So I think that really made a big difference. And Paul, I think, you know, as excited as we've been to see Martinelli come back, these are a lot of minutes being put into his legs real quick, back from a long layoff. And I thought he looked a little less bright in his movement, um, you know, in the first half in this game. But the, the player that really stood out, I think, is, is Bukayo Saka. And, you know, it's funny, we didn't talk about him as much in the Chelsea podcast, not because he wasn't deserving of it, but because the Smith Rowe and Martinelli talking points were so um, important and, and so relevant. But I think we absolutely have to give Saka his due here and make sure that we spend a good amount of time just talking about what a, what a superior talent this guy is. I mean, ultimately, between Saka and Martinelli, you have the kind of young talent, two of them, that most clubs are lucky to get once in a generation, in, in my view. So this was a game where he played largely on the right, and I think when he first started to play there, we had a lot of questions about it. Didn't seem like a natural fit necessarily. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd actually say most people said that it was a bad idea to try and play him on the right after they saw him for a game or two. Yeah, I saw I, it as an investment that might pay off. Well, and, and to be fair, I, I think the logic argument would also say just look, we have a guy on the right that we are invested in hoping succeed. But but setting that aside, I mean my my point was to say that yeah. what he's showing now is he is a player that wherever you put him on the pitch, his his quality and his involvement in the game really is going to is going to elevate the team. So I, I just thought this was a phenomenal sack performance. Obviously the mm. the turn and run and and pass to uh get the goal that wins the game is gonna take all, all the headlines, but there were just so many things he did well mm. in this game. So do you wanna sort of expand upon just my generic praising for this special player? Um, well, I think that's right. Uh, in, in the first match against Chelsea, it was like he wasn't the new shiny thing. Yeah. Um, uh, we had two other new shiny things, so we had three of them. Um, and we took him for granted a little bit, but he was excellent in that. And in this, he was excellent, and he made the goal. And, I mean, he sprints most of the length of the pitch, and you forget just how fast he is. He's only got those little legs. And he doesn't even seem to be moving them that quickly. But even with the ball at his feet, um, I mean, the guy travels. And when you talk about the counter, I, you know, I, I think you really hit on something in the second half in that Brighton thought Brighton needed three points. And like they're at home, 
They're desperate for points. And Arsenal rolls up there, and we weren't too impressive in the first half. So I was like, uh, I think we were all puzzling a little bit. What was the difference between the first half and the second half? Because it was so starkly different. We had 20 minutes here where we got to really go at them. And I think they kind of needed three points, and they did open up a little bit. And they did think, the, these Arsenal guys, the, you know, it's fragile. They're, we get at them. And, and if, the way the first half ended, I mean... Early on, we had uh, Leno juggling the ball. That was pretty impressive, mm-hmm. uh, getting away with that one. And El Nenny flirting with danger a couple of times just before halftime. They must have really felt this game was on for them. And they just gave us a little bit more space. And counter-attacking is the thing. We, were, we didn't have an opportunity to counter-attack in the first half. We've been often referred to as a good counter-attacking team. And I've always, I think for years now, I've questioned that. You know, when you had Ozil and Alexis at their prime, maybe. But that was kind of about it. We were not actually very good at counterattacking. We, we make a lot of poor technical uh, uh, Final choices. ball errors. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I t- couldn't agree with you more. I think people look at the names on the pitch and assume that that's a counterattacking yeah. team, but it never really was. Yeah, it never really was. And it's Arsenal, so we must be good at this. But we really weren't. Mm. And these guys, it's like the fucking red arrows. Do they have the red arrows over over where you are, Elliot? Mm-hmm. But anyway. Lots of red so, arrows, yes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, they got those interweaving aircraft shooting, you know, sh- flying overhead. And like those guys sprinting forward, it's, it's a whole new dimension where, you know, we, we don't need to have possession to be effective. And hopefully we'll get to a point where we're actually effective when we have possession and we can weave our patterns and it doesn't come down to crosses. But yeah, that 20 minutes in the second half where you saw Smithrow in particular, I think, and Saka building an understanding together and also in terms of uh, moving around the pitch and creating space for each other and giving giving the the opposition different looks to try and figure out um, it was very, very exciting, but you can't, apparently at the moment, we're all a bit leggy and you can't do that for 90 minutes. Well, we couldn't do it for the 45 minutes of the second half, probably leggy or not. It, we just don't seem to do games, let alone halves where, mm. but you got to crawl, walk, <clears throat> run. So it's definitely something to build on. You know, w- w- I got excited about that 10 minutes against Burnley when we looked like we might actually have played football for the first time in eons so i should be very excited about 20 minutes where i agree with you they had a lot of possession and, and that kind of played to us in the end because apparently we might be good at counter-attacking yeah i i have to tell you like i mean i am i so so like it, it's hard for me because i want to be balanced i want to look at these two games together and see the signs of a way forward where we can be better and I don't want to over-index some of the things that we've done in this game because I still think, or in these two games, because I still think we have seen a little bit of a challenge converting dangerous possession into chances and chances into goals. Because, I mean, if you, again, the Chelsea game, I thought we played really well. The goals we got are from a penalty, a free kick, and a cross. I mean, obviously a goal, a brilliant goal that he meant to do, is what I meant to say. And then in this game... um, you know, one shot in the first half, one shot in the period after the goal, which I have no problem with, and then a, a nice flurry of of good counterattacking football where we did get some shots and, and did score a goal. So, like, 
I see the I see the shoots of recovery, and I'm excited by them. I think the next step is to confirm this recovery by showing that we can consistently convert dangerous possession into goals. But a reason I think we're making a recovery at all is quite clearly the influence of these young players, um, Martinelli, ESR, Saka, and it's it's a phenomenal foundation on which we can build something. I mean, if you want to have any faith in this project being special going forward, that trio is where you would start having that faith. Now, maybe you throw in players like Tierney and um, uh, Gabrielle and, you know, I mean, if you want to, well, I, I would say Bellerin, and that's a conversation we can maybe have down the line, but I went into the Bellerin minds on Twitter and I have come out uh, with whatever you get in a mine that is bad. Well, that's why I'm taking these arrows because I I know you've had, you've had some lumps mentioning his name, but if you're an attacking team, Bellerin starts to make all kinds of sense as a right fullback. If you're not, well, it's tricky, Paul, right? Cause like, I mean, I I think, and again, don't want to have the debate right now. I think he's an elite attacking fullback. Some people disagree with that. I fully acknowledge he is a fullback who has positioning issues and one-on-one defensive issues. And like, there is a question of how much balance you can get right and wrong there. But Clive, I I think if we're going to be excited about that trio, then the obvious concern becomes the trio of other players who are in positions in that part of the pitch that are committed to big money, committed to long contracts. Now the Pepe one, I'm not as worried about because Pepe is a player who, if it isn't going to work out, you sell him, you move on. I mean, you're going to take a loss, but but you'll get him off off the books. And and it's sad to see it end that way if it has to, but so be it. Alternatively, he's still young enough and talented enough that we can make something there. The Willian and Aubameyang things are slightly different. That's a half million pounds a week of 31, 32-year-old players who are here for a while. And if the project isn't going to get off the ground, you could argue that those would be the sort of anchors holding it down. Now, with William, I don't have a lot of optimism. Aubameyang is a good player who we've seen contribute great things to us as recently as last season. What I would ask you, though, is what you thought of this performance because it it is the first time, and realize he's just back from injury and that could play a part in it, but like he just felt a little clunky to me. And the funny thing is the miss isn't the problem. The miss is the good thing. That's Aubameyang getting into vintage Aubameyang positioning, making good contact, and the keeper making a good stop. That I actually like. It's the other stuff. Some misplaced passes, some runs that didn't come off. The the time when he tried to turn that big, clunky Brighton guy whose name is escaping me and didn't win the foot race Webster. with him. Webster. Yeah, that was a little Burn. concerning. Uh, Webster. It was Webster. Uh, Burn is another issue altogether. But uh, And we will tell you a little bit later on about how not to wind up with burning or chafing or any of that stuff, but that that's not now. Um, so, Clive, I mean, do you, do you share... My concern, again, I'm a worrier. That's why my friends call me whiskers. But do you share my concern that Aubameyang, now it's it's not just, oh, the team isn't playing well. I mean, he was in a team with three players who are connecting well. He was not at their level, as weird as it sounds to say in this game. So is it is it a concern that you have, that you share? Um, yeah, I'll see. I learned from you, actually, about this Aubameyang thing and whether we should sign him or not. And I, I was very much of the opinion that we should. Um, not just for his football, but the fact that he played multiple positions, his physical shape, his emotional impact on the club. And, yep, yeah, I was very much on board with it. Um, Winian and others, I'm not so sure. I tried to justify it to myself, thinking he'd play 10, and that didn't happen. And I'm thinking, well, that's a stupid deal. And we know more now than we did back then, so let's just forget that one, should we? But Bamiyang... I wish we could. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, Elliot? I know you keep saying we're labelled with it. We're, we're blunt. You know, we've got him in a rest but we, we have got him under contract, and we can move him. I know we may have to... Do some work there, free or subsidised, whatever. But 
He's a contracted player. I never despair too much with that. As long as we do it, as you say, fell fast. You know, as long as we don't hang him hanging around blocking pathways for three years, which he never was for me. When you sign that player, there's an exit plan. There's already rumours of him going in January. So I don't worry about him. I worry about the Ramses walking out for free. I worry about the Alexis Sanchez down to six months. That's what I used to worry about because mm. you know, I just don't worry about these contracted players. There might be bad deals. But they're contracted deals. They're different kinds of we, waste, though, right? Like one is spending that you're not getting back, and the other is an asset that you don't monetize. So there's, there's yeah, slightly, I'm, you know, I'm not going to yeah. justify the stupidity of, of those deals and the fact that Some we felt cost, the need yeah. to even do them in the, in the, in the first place, right, which sure. is a much deeper podcast, right? So, Bamiyang, what I will say for a sprinter who, who very rarely picks up muscle injuries, that's because he knows his body, right? He's an elite athlete, never misses training, never misses games. He's had a calf pop, right, or a minor calf. In. And the first thing he'll be doing is, okay, I'm playing, but i got to look after it. i got to look after it. And so I will give him the benefit of the doubt. And I felt he warmed into the game. I thought he looked better the more the game went on, the more he got confidence in his body. And that missed chance, the first one, when Saka done his lovely De Bruyne across, sweeping cross, I thought, goal. But he couldn't do much more than that. No, that's vintage you know? Obama. That was a I, crying was good. shame, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. That, that was a good. crying shame that didn't go in. I thought it was brilliant. And if you watch his movement, when that goal was on, it was back to top speed. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other one where he done his you know, community shield, shake and bake, top corner, he just towed it, got there too soon. He, he, he snatched it and he just towed it rather than get the curl on it. So I'm, I'm smiling to myself now because I'm now seeing – a good time player come back. I heard Alan Davies call him. We got a few joiner in us, and I so agree with that. <laughs> and it's these young kids that have made him think, I better join in. And so I, I'm I'm not so worried. I think he's going to come back. The interesting thing, and we spoke to it on the instant reaction that you didn't bother turning up for Elliot, was... Um, oh, no, I still made sure I got my 30 seconds <laughs> in at the beginning. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, you certainly did. <laughs> but, but Tim Theory, right? And, he's, and he, when he first said it, oh, I, I had to take some while to process it. About, you know, having a Bamiyang and Martinelli play together. And um, it is something that's not quite solved. And we all know it needs to be solved. I don't think it's a big problem because I saw some rotation in this game, and I think that this is what we need to be thinking about more, is rotation and movement, because these guys are quite intelligent now. We've lifted our intelligence index with these three youngsters playing together, and they force rotation, because Saka pops up on the left, sweeps it for Aubameyang's chance, he pops up on the right. Smith Rowe, if I'm starting to look at stats zone again. The reason why, because we've now got combinations again. We've now got intelligence on the pitch, I'm looking at, so why is Bellerin played well? And you look at the past combinations, top ones is to Smith Rose. Smith Rose there helping him out, making sure he doesn't run down dark alleyways and run into and get dispossessed after run back 30 yards and then gets tired and get popped off on the, when he's near his goal. There's always a cause and effect for why someone's doing better. And Smith Rowe is absolutely there for Shaka and Bellerin in the last two games as top pass receiving from those guys, which means he's helping out his teammates with his availability. And so we're starting, if I'm Arteta now, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at all these players, I'm thinking, in my mind now, I want to look for the best partnerships. Mm. Because this team has lacked partnerships so badly. And I'm seeing some partnerships form. And I want to try to find as many partners as I can, because that will allow me to select better teams as we need to rotate going forward. And and I think Aubameyang, we're going to find out who his partners are. And he has to work 
and hand, make these partnerships work because these young lads are doing that for him. They really are. They're making their partnerships work. And so, yeah, I'm a little bit, I'm not as worried as you. Well, um, I'm worried. But, <laughs> but I do absolutely respect that worry. I do not dismiss it at all. I think he's got work to, but I do see some green shoots in that last game. I think he'll be fine. Yeah, no, well, two two points I want to make about that. One is, again, the binary of they're great or they're shit doesn't work here. When I say I'm worried about Aubameyang, I'm not saying I'm worried that Aubameyang is now worse than Yaya Sonogo. I'm saying I'm worried that Aubameyang is not able to hit the level anymore of a player you give 300,000 pounds a week to. And this is why I've said in the past, you don't give a player a contract for what they did before. You give a player a contract to pay them for what you think they will do going forward. And when you say, here's three years at 300,000 pounds a week, what you're saying is, I believe you will play like the best striker in the league for the next few seasons, or at least the early part of your contract. I mean, sometimes contracts are backloaded with some bad years, fine. But the problem is, I look at him and I say, is he able to play at a super elite best striker in the league level right now? And I'm not sure I see a guy who's consistently going to be able to do that for us now. Does that mean he's terrible and usable? Not at all. I think the interesting problem, though, is there are certain players in your squad who are so good you just pick them, period. Saka has made himself a guy you just pick. Even if you hit a bad run of form, you don't bench them. Aubameyang was a guy the last couple seasons. In form, out of form, doesn't matter. Put him in the team. He's got to play. I think, Paul, that you can make an argument that with ESR, Martinelli, and Saka being an important trio that have to play as much as they can without overdoing it for health reasons, that now that fourth position between Lacazette and Aubameyang is a conversation again. Now, that's not a place we wanted to be. It's not why we gave Aubameyang this big money. We gave him this big money to just be the guy at the point of the spear who is undeniably great. But I do think that that's a conversation now, that Lacazette has thrust himself into that conversation. I'm not saying by playing. Again, this is why there's nuance here. Not saying Lacazette has done that by playing like peak original Ronaldo, but he's been better than Aubameyang over a short period now. So do you think that it is fair to suggest that with that trio sorted, and again, they can't play every game, but we know we want to use them, that Lacazette has a shout for that fourth role, that striker role, in exchange for Aubameyang, that there may be games where we, that we should, by choice, not by requirement, start without Aubameyang and with Lacazette instead. So I think your initial pre- premise is feckin' nuts, right? Um, but we won't spend too much time debating on this. Like, Aubameyang, I'm, I'm open to hearing said, what it, which, which yeah, yeah. nuts premise well, are you picking is on? Apparently, apparently a, a absolute starter for the last two seasons, but a couple of months later, he's not. Now, the the rest of it I'm good with, right? We have three other players who put themselves in the frame, well, leaving so, so, only one other spot available. Let me available. just ask you something. Do you think, based yeah. on the form he's displayed this entire season, which is not a short sample size, I mean, look, football's a season at a season time, do you think that he's opened himself up to the suggestion that he's not a first name on the team sheet kind of guy? I mean, that's that's my premise, is that at some point, you got to go with what the information is telling you. And in my view, the information is telling me Aubameyang's not a write-his-name-in-pen-on-the-team-sheet player at this point. Yeah, he's, he's out of form, so right at this moment, sure. But that's oh, true right. of any player who loses form. So. Sure, totally fair. I, I guess where we differ then is that I don't know that I think he's losing form. I think yeah. he has declined a bit. Now, again, again, not to being terrible, but to the point where he's no longer so super elite that I just try to play him back into form. I think this is 
a player who's now good, but maybe not great. Sure. And you might be right. And You disagree, uh, which is fair. Well, no, I don't disagree. I'm saying there's no fucking evidence for it, apart from he's out of form. So we'll have to... Well, well you know time, my evidence, right? I mean, I would point you to the no, last couple well, of seasons no, but, of data. But you said he was a starter last... A starter, without doubt, last season and the season before, and you had those stats then, right? And he scored that goal in the FA Cup just a couple of months ago. And had he banged this goal in against Brighton, we'd be all excited about him again. I know you wouldn't have lost your concerns about it, but we, the collective we, would be like, oh, he's back. So, and he for, might well for the record, be. I, so I would not. So you might be but, right. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you might be right. Mm -hmm. And I might agree with you with a much, much larger sample size. For now, all I can say is I'm going to put it down to form because we created nothing for the last couple of months. So to hammer him for A, not scoring anything, and B, being out of form... You know, that that was always Aubameyang. You don't give him any service. He's not going to generate, you know, he's not Eden Hazard. He's not going to take it from the halfway line, beat four people, put them on their arse and bury one. Um, and he, like even Eden Hazard likes a bit of service too, but Aubameyang doesn't do anything without service. So anyway, that, that to your point, which was, uh, is he an automatic starter right now? Obviously not because his form's, Maybe in the toilet. Maybe he'll. He's the kind of guy who shakes shit off as soon as he starts getting. Well, service, if, you, if you've been in up. the toilet, you may wind up needing to shake shit off. So that that's a fair point. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. yeah. And speaking of unflushable turds, Sayad Kalasanach is gone. Yeah, we've loaned joke. we've loaned him by the way to Schalke, and and you know I think he deserves a little credit because if the rumors are true, he's given up a big yeah. wedge of his wages to go there. Schalke will eat the rest of his wages for the rest of the season, so he will get to play. He will make less money, but he will play football. And I mean, look, I am never a believer that a player should have to give up the money that they contractually have a right to receive, but I think it takes a lot of character on his part to have done that. So I, I wish him well. He needed well to move said. on. Well and he has. Yeah. So, uh, Paul, so, continue your assault you, on the, my, my viewpoint, please. Yeah. So I think there is merit to your point. And, and in particular, because Lacazette may be, it's not just Aubameyang who will, who will benefit from extra service. Um, Lacazette will do well with runners who run past him. Like those three lads running around Lacazette start to make him and his kind of nine and a half pro make a lot more sense. And like he's the guy, Aubameyang's goal should have been a goal. Um, now, he probably did everything he has done every other time and it goes in the net. But Lacazette really makes something of that. We, we chatted about it at the time uh, on the instant reaction podcast i'm not sure we gave him enough credit there i mean he really does something with that shot to get it in the corner um and so like that that's a a striker who might be actually in form mm. uh, with the shot like that um and these kind of overlapping runners these this creativity these guys using space getting in behind we got now got three players who run beyond lacazette um you know, there's there's definitely a short-term argument that it might be Lacazette who makes more sense as the starter. Uh, but, you know, I, I need to see a, some actual evidence that Aubameyang's kind of going further off his cliff before I get too... Con well, am I concerned? Yes, because of the risk, because of what we've put into him. Mm. But I don't have the evidence to take me away from my 
my what I think is a reasonable expectation that he'll be about as good as he was last year, where he should have been golden boot if Vardy hadn't got so many bloody penalties. And <clears throat> yeah. I know his XG's a little off, but I, I'm you know again. We didn't create that much last year or the year before compared to what we should be doing. So I'm hopeful. Um, uh, and until proven otherwise, I'm going to assume Bamiyang can get back to about the levels of last year and the year before. Some year he's going to have a cliff. I'm, uh, I look at that guy running around the pitch and I look at that guy against Brighton in the second half and I'm like, yep, no, he, he's basically fully there. Uh, and my gut says, hey, maybe we've got another two years out of him. Um, I, fo- I, I was against mm. the deal in principle, but I understood why yeah. we did it because we'd so we're so bad. We'd be so bad at getting a replacement striker. I could understand why. No, I, why I, I get you. wanted this guy for the next couple of years. I, I get you, and and like, I I will say that I I have I've been sort of looking at the data and looking at the age and saying this. There's some alarm bells here. And I watched Tim this season, and for the most part, I've said, man, he still looks like Aubameyang, maybe just a, a, a sulking Aubameyang, but mostly looks like him. Yeah. I thought in this game there was some clunkiness. And again, he's just come back from injury. Maybe the legs aren't really fresh. you got to get the rigor mortis out, as um, Clive's been talking about. So, I, you know, I think that, that that is definitely something there. It's something to keep an eye on. And And again, to be clear, still a very good player. Will he maintain the super elite level that we have paid for and that we could really use at the striker position for this deal to work out. I mean, that remains to be seen. I, I, I'm going to co- contradict my own point, though, and say I still think he's a player who I would be choosing ahead of Lacazette, even in this down form, because I still believe in terms of getting into good, dangerous positions and getting you goals, especially with these players around him. We need to see if if that can happen for him with more games with, with ESR, Martinelli, and... Um, Saka. So I do want to talk a little bit about ESR, um, maybe a bit about the defending, and and sort of talk briefly about where the season goes from here, and and you know the way the table's looking because it's really an interesting time. Uh, we can maybe even touch on some transfer rumors all in a quick 20, 25 minutes before we wrap up this pod. But before we do that, I mean, look, we are talking about what it takes to be super elite. We are talking about what it takes not to suffer a decline as you get older and and to maintain your best. And I think we can agree that keeping yourself well-groomed in your private area is one way to just stay super elite for 2021. That uh, this is a new year and we want to throw off the the burdens and the, the downside of 2020. We want to throw off that old, decrepit year and start with a new, fresh, happy year. And so I think a way you can do that is to to shave off the sort of old parts of yourself that have lived 2020 with you and start afresh, start anew. And of course, with the Lawnmower 3.0 for Manscaped, you can do that. Now, I joke. It is funny because I am mostly just very awkward and uncomfortable talking about shaving your privates. But it's something we do. It is. And there's a couple ways you do it. You get in the shower, you grab that razor that's been there since maybe 2019, and you just keep using it. And you keep wondering why it's pulling and it's doing bad stuff to you and it's just generally unpleasant or you just don't do it at all because you you dread the thing and you're scared of it. Or you can get the lawnmower 3.0. So wet, dry. So right in the shower, no problem. Comes with a guard. You can use it on eyebrows. You can use it on chest. You can use it on sideburns. I mean, you name it. But when you're going to use it in more delicate areas... Uh, it has ceramic blades. It has 
an absolute phenomenal way of doing the job without ever nicking or cutting or pulling or tugging or any of those things. And like, I, I realize that sometimes when we talk about pulling and tugging associated with that area, it's not a negative, but in this case, I mean it as a negative. I will try to wrap this up quickly as it is getting worse and worse as it goes on. But um, the thing is actually really good. I mean, so I have, it comes with a little beautiful stand that you can set it in and charge it. And I haven't put it in that thing in like three weeks. And um, yeah, it's still going. The battery lasts forever. It's wet, dry. The ceramic blades are fantastic and you can use it all over the place. So you're going to have to do this anyway. This is a product you can use and uh, it gives you a chance to use that magical promo code Arsenal Vision and get uh, 20% off in free shipping. So start 2021 by shaving off the detritus of 2020 with the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped. Manscaped.com, Arsenal Vision is your promo code. Manscaped.com, Arsenal Vision promo code. Get 20% off in free shipping. Do it, do it, shave it off. Get, get rid of it all. Fresh, so when these lockdowns end, you can just run into the street and take your pants off. It's what we should all do. I plan on it. Well, not if they end soon because it's very cold out. And you know what happens when you step out in the cold as a man. So I'll do it in the summer is my promise. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, so Clive, having set aside what was, I thought, uh, professionally done and not awkward at all, ad break. Um, <laughs> let, let's talk about Smithrow. I, I, you know, I think it's interesting because... Sometimes you need a 10 out of 10 player to elevate a team. And sometimes you need a player who isn't necessarily a 10 out of 10, but who fits the role that he's being given. And so I bring this up because like we've tried Lacazette as a nine stroke 10. We've tried William there. We've tried all different sorts of ways to attack that position. And then you put Smith Rowe in there who is more naturally gifted at occupying the space between the lines and being a playmaker and a connector. And what do you know, it looks so much better and so much more natural. And I don't even think he's hit 10 out of 10 level yet. I mean, he looks really talented. He's 20 years old, and I think he will uh, just improve as he plays more. But just the sheer fact of having someone who understands that space and where to be and how to distribute on time, right weight, you know, right tempo, it makes all the difference in the world to me. So do you, do you feel that there's more to come from Smith Rowe and that simply his characteristics as a player have made a big difference in terms of how we access the final third and, and, and the space between the lines. Yeah. He, he's, a, he surprised me actually. And I, I know, I know about him, you know, and I've seen him play. I've watched him lots of times, you know, playing for, for England, particularly England youth teams and for Huddersfield. And I've seen him play for Arsenal. We played a lot of times for Arsenal preseason, etc. So he, he's not new, but for this team, he is like just mm -hmm. demonstrating what we've, what we've missed. And we spoke earlier about partnerships, relationships, and he's just creating them everywhere, and he's just making everyone better. And I love players that do that. You know, you, you get good players that play, but some players play for themselves. And um, this guy is the sort of player that other players would love to play with. And, you know, like I said earlier, you look at his combinations, how he's helping out his defenders. And, you know, I, I look for that a lot, particularly fullbacks. You know, when they get the ball, they normally get pressed a lot. So, you need fullbacks to be good in possession. And so I'm, I'm always looking for the exit plan when the ball goes out to them because we use them, we push them up high, they get the ball, centre-back split and the fullbacks are high. So that's their obvious pressing target. So I look for those connections, <clears throat> excuse me, inside. And he's there. He's there all the time for both sides. And that means he's tracking side to side. When he gets the ball to his feet, one thing I look for is how they use, I call it their internal space, their own space. So what he does is he backs away when defenders have the ball. He backs away, backward running, backward running. And the ball goes into his feet. And I always say to players, it's like, the ball's come through a tunnel. And that tunnel you own. 
you know it's free. And he goes back into his space. Then he turns around. So he, they call it touch, touch. So you go touch back into the space you just left. Then touch, go another side. And you watch him. He goes back into his space really quickly. And then he flicks to one side, whichever way, and go both ways. What's that in all the videos? He does the same thing. He backs away from the space and then goes straight back into it, then turns away. But he's all doing it within his own internal space. Does that, does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. he's got a, his own space and he turns away. And everyone goes, oh, Saint Gazzola, he's really good. He keeps the ball. But all he's done is use the space he's created. He knows what's there. He's just left it. And Smith Road does that as well. And I love the way he makes, you know, by going wide either side. He forces Martinelli inside. He forces Saka inside. And he's putting players into areas of strength. Then he takes their role and he says, I'll, I'll stand out here. You go inside. Let's just, just swap over. But he's really plays a level. I think Paul mentioned he plays a level of humility. Mm. And he's and he's not playing for himself. He's playing for the team. And I don't care what the number is. I'm I'm against this number 10 thing. But I do like, you know, we used to have Riziki, Kleb, Abigas. You know, these were, they were probably all 10s. I just call them intelligent attacking mids. You see what I mean? And right. Mm-hmm. We haven't had this. This is, I like. I believe this. We have behind the ball players and ahead of the ball players. And ahead of the ball players in your interior need to be intelligent. And what we've seen with Saka and Smith Rowe in particular, and Martinelli as well in a different way, is a level of intelligence and selfless running to help other people out. And we've looked at this team for a while now. And Elliot, you've seen all you sent us past maps. And what are we seeing in those past maps? Massive disconnects mm-hmm. all over the place. And whatever the number are on these three guys' shirts, the connection is back. And now I'm back <clears> on <throat> Statstone. Now I'm back looking at apps. Now I'm looking at the combinations. Now I'm looking at relationships. Now I, that's where I am now in my mind, thinking forward. And so, yeah, I, I really have really liked this player. I am conscious of the the what I call first 11 syndrome. We all tend to do, we pick our first 11s. Banger's not quite in it at the moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> and my mind goes the other way. I then look at the people on the bench and say, okay, how can you get into this group? Because we're going to need them. Yeah. We're going to need Pepe. We're going to need Maitland-Niles because Tierney can't keep going forever. You know, we're going to need these players to come in. We're going to need Joe Willock. So how are they going to develop partnerships with these guys who are in the team? Because that's what we should be looking for now. Because at the weekend we could be using a number of those players. Because this this can't continue with this group. We just it just can't physically. I, I do worry. I mean, it is it's so hard, and I feel for Arteta here. Right, he's finally got the team playing a bit and doing some of the things you'd like to see, and and getting a response, and most importantly, getting a result by hook or by crook. And it it's going to be so tempting to just say I don't want to do anything to stop this run. But these are young players. They are players you're putting a lot of minutes into, two of them with real injury concerns in terms of Martinelli and uh, Smith-Rowe, who's just had you know an injury-plagued young career. So he's got to be so careful. But my goodness, like who would want to be Arteta when he picks Willian to start and we drop points? You know what I mean? So I, I just... And not to say that we would 100% drop points if he picks Willian, but... I, I understand who would want to be a manager, but you know when you sit in the big chair, you have to make hard choices. And Clive, he's he's going to have to make some some changes. He's going to have to rotate a bit. Going to have to. Kieran Tierney, we lost him for a year nearly, didn't we? Yeah. 
and he's playing. I heard Dom talk about it on the uh, stats stats podcast. He's absolutely right. I mean, I watched the Scotland games in the international break, and he played 120 minutes. He played all three games. He played extra time one of those games, and he doesn't play quiet. He mm. plays hard. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. And he because because Collar was obviously going. He played a lot of minutes in the Europa League, and he he played those games as well. He'd done all those journeys. And he had a lot of pelvic and groin-type injuries, which are really hard to shake. And we spent a lot of time waiting for him. He's got to step out soon. He has to. And we've got to. This is why my eyes are looking at other players. Not because they're better. So I'm, I'm interested to see how they're going to develop new relationships because we're going to we're going to need them, mate. Particularly at the weekend where we're playing a, a manly West Brom team, shall we say? Yeah, I I mean the funny thing is the underlyings on West Brom are pretty bad. They've been playing pretty badly, from what I understand. They've kind of gotten away with it a little bit um, until wasn't it Leeds that just beat them five 0 or something like yeah. that. So I mean, yeah, I I don't think we should go into that with fear. But I, ironically, I think it's a game where maybe you can get away without a Smith throw, for example. You, you know because. They're gonna sit so damn deep, is my guess. That you won't, you shouldn't have a lot of difficulty getting the ball into the final third. Um, breaking down deep defenses is hard. We haven't been good at it. Not a lot of people are good at it. It's really hard. Um, you know, we we saw, we've seen a lot of weird results this season, and teams are struggling to break down low blocks. And uh, you know, we we have struggled in particular. And I'm not trying to take all the blame off us because I think we've been putrid at times. But that's a hard thing for anyone to do. Tim talks about that a lot, and I think it's important to keep that in perspective. Um, Paul, just quickly on the on the way we finished the game, you know, we we did sit back a bit. I still think that, and and I get it. We're we're not a team that's hugely confident at the moment that wants to go play and batter teams. So I understand wanting to defend a lead. I still think we can get the balance right a little bit more. Like you've got a lead, they've got to come at you, so you can play on the counter a bit. But I don't feel like we necessarily play on the counter a bit. I feel like we just sort of batten down the hatches more, which. I still think that balance can be right. I mean, there was the one moment where Bellerin got the ball and he like burst up the pitch and beat like a bunch of men and carried it all the way to the edge of the final third, all the way to the box. And like literally no one made a supporting run. No one. He had no one to give it to. He just had to like start heading towards the corner. And that wasn't in like the 91st minute either. It was a little disappointing. And I just felt that once again, I, I think there's, we haven't had a lot of leads to play with to be fair. So we haven't had a lot of practice at it, but do you share my concern that maybe, um, we can strike a slightly better balance between playing on the counter versus what I think we're doing, which is more just really betting in and sitting very deep. Because I, I thought we invited a bit too much pressure on ourselves again in terms of the amount of access they had to the penalty area. Because you, you know what's funny? And I know this is what I do with my questions. I, I ask it, then I keep going. But I'm going to do it one more time. Paul, like, <laughs> this was a Brighton team that could not hurt us early in this game for the most part. They really struggled to progress the ball into our final third in our half. You know, they really struggled to, to create danger. Now, some of that was by design. They weren't really trying to. But I, I think we we made the hard part, progressing the ball into our final third and to our box, the hard part, easier in that last period. And, and I, you know, I don't know that we always want to do that against weak teams because they're they're not necessarily very good at it if you challenge them. So how, how would you approach a period like that? And are you mostly fine with what we've been doing? So does it concern me? No. Do I agree with you? Yes. Okay. Um, it's like you you can tolerate a much longer list of concerns than me. I'm a like, let's worry about the big one, two, and three. And the big one at the moment is, can we create anything? Can we attack? Can we get excited? Uh, I just have the second half running in the background here 
with Brighton and there's Aubameyang. You, you know that moment where he cuts off uh, one of their players, like runs across him as, as he's covering back and then, I don't know if you remember that, but he kind of body checks a guy, which is not an, an Aubameyang move, right? He's normally mm-hmm. protecting that body of his, but he, he bodies that guy, cuts in front of him, um, chops him off, runs basically the length of the pitch to cover back. I mean, his whole body language in the second half, this is before we've got our goal uh, and we're chasing it. And he's enjoying his football. So what what do I worry about? First, I worry about can we keep that going? Because everything else flows from that, right? It's very mm-hmm. hard to defend zero zeros or to, you know, a one zero when you didn't really earn it and you're not really playing and you expect to get beaten and stuff. And these young kids come in and they don't give a fuck. It's like an FA Cup final to them, right? Smith, yeah. Saka's been here for a while and managed not to be tainted by uh, the malaise, the ennui of our team. Um, But like Martinelli and Smith Rowe are back in, uh, you know, what had Smith Rowe had one one game before for the first 11 or one start maybe or something like just paltry minutes over the years. And he gets that shirt on him. He doesn't bloody care. He, he he has no concept of losing, no concept of being in a team with a funk. And that energy, you know, has somewhat transformed, at least for the time being, uh, our attacking plane. So what what's my concern at night? What keeps me awake? Actually, very little apart from if I keep off a WhatsApp chat with you. But like my concern would be that the fl- the this little flame, you know, you have a candle and it's a bit blowy in in your mansion, and you got your hands around it in case it goes out because you got no matches left. We have this little flame of attacking football playing into the fight. Fun- That's like everything else will flow from that. You can build confidence. Like how much planning do we do for hanging on for the last twenty minutes at this point? We're just our mindsets trying to get our game going. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to express some actual football, and from that you can hang the other things. So yeah, I mean you're right in what you you see there. Mm-hmm. I don't know, and it becomes a concern as we go forward, as we start playing football more often, and we have more to protect. Then you, this, you know, we haven't been very sophisticated in how we played our last twenty minutes. We we've had games where we literally literally collapsed into the box, and this just, wasn't that. Was a bunch, yeah, this wasn't that. No, mm-mm. no. Um, the, I'd like to say a quick bit on Smithrow, which is uh, having gone through his his various touches over the last two games, messing around with video and stuff. I've been. I had, wait, you did a video. Away. I hadn't heard anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? I'll send you the link. Awesome. Uh, I, I've one-on-one sent the link to literally everybody on Arsenal Twitter. I, I, I do, I'm very much a guerrilla marketing kind of guy. But anyway, having gone through all those clips, um, like every one of his touch almost, there's a slight exaggeration, but fuck it, is good. Mm. it's clever, it's quick, his decision-making, his scanning. I've kind of, I think I underestimated how good he was doing on this shit. I think he might be really, really good. I then went back, uh, he's had, he had 13 starts for Huddersfield, I think it was, because um, I went back and I saw 
somebody asked me if there was a highlights video of him at Huddersfield because I'd watched quite a bit of him there and I went back and had a look at it. Um, yeah, he had 13 starts, 1,100 minutes. His highlight reel for Huddersfield. Now, I know you should, shouldn't uh, get carried away about highlights reels because everybody has a good highlights reels. Not everybody. But, <laughs> not everybody. But, like, you know, that it's that thing where you, you plonk some document on somebody's table and they're impressed by the fact it's a foot high, mm. whatever's in it. His highlights reel is like nine minutes of him doing the kind of shit we saw in the last two games. Um, this is not, it's not a one-off, right? It's not a two-off. He does those uh, quick turns, runs, passes, uh, one-twos, streak up the pitch. That's basically all he does, yeah. and it's brilliant. <clears throat> and the one one other quick thought yeah. is, I would want him against West Brom with a, a low block, because you'd want a Ramsey. Because he's clever and he'll get into the box and in very tight spaces, he'll do a one-two and set somebody off. It's funny. I was going to um, say that's he, why I think it's a game Willick, Willick could play two just because it's it's more in that Europa League mold of where he can get closer to the box. Willick and, and doesn't have that. But it's not the getting close to the box part. Like, it's not the progressing from... He, ha, he can do in tight spaces what almost nobody in our team can. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he's in a phone box. He's not... <clears throat> Cazorla level, but he's in a phone. In terms of the one-two, it's him and Saka probably well, who can do that tight space stuff. Then you, then you make an interesting point. I think this is why you have to be so, so thoughtful about squad building and why it is something that you really need a very thoughtful, intelligent, experienced person in the club, a team of people watching it. Because like, this is the issue. You get a Smith Rowe who comes in and dazzles you and you see the level of talent and you say that's Premier League, top of the Premier League level talent. And you have a guy like Joe Willock, who's perfectly nice, but probably isn't top of the Premier League level talent. And they kind of yep. want to occupy same positions in the squad. And then you've got a couple other players who occupy those positions. Suddenly you're saying, you can't always keep them all. Do, you know, you have to start yep. thinking about moving some, like moving in on to make room for Balogun, moving Mark, uh, uh, Willock on to make room for Smith Rowe. Because when these guys are banging down the door, if you don't let them through, they're going to leave. And you're going to wind up keeping the guy who's less good and losing the guy who you really needed. And so this has to be yeah. a thoughtful process. Uh, Paul, it sounds like you were still uh, not finished uh, with your with Well, your uh, I was, so, but, yeah. but you hit another thought, which I'll say quickly. Okay. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I said... Uh, Smith Rowe, I mean, he wasn't available to us and injuries, but Smith Rowe is the guy you wanted playing those 44 uh, appearances last week, last year instead of Willock. And I, like, I, I think Willock's good, and but he needs to add something to his game. Not, Smith Rowe has it, but Paul, like, the thing that Willock needs to add. Your point isn't wrong. It's just this. This is what I'm saying. This isn't me saying Willock bad. Get rid of him. Sell it. Get fuck off. This is me saying yeah. there's a guy who's probably better who's 20 years old. And at some point you have to create paths for the better younger yep. guys. It's the, you know, we moved it. Iwobi was a fine player, but if Iwobi was still at the club, Saka wouldn't have broken through. You know, it, it takes thoughtfully moving on players to make room for other players. And, and you know, that, that is something yeah, that we I'm have to think of. Let's yeah, let's, let's uh, start to wrap this up though. And Clive, I, Look, we could talk about Pablo Marie's performance, which I thought was a credit to him, and you know maybe there's more there than I've given credit to. You know, we could get to yes, the fullbacks. Yes, there all is. That. I, there isn't, but you know I'm saying it to try to sound magnanimous, even though I don't believe it. Um, but <laughs> but setting that aside, my my faux humility. Um, look at the table and try to make any sense of it. I, you know, 
it is very hard for me to think of a team that's on 14 points after 14 games having aspirations to finish in a European spot or where. But then after 16 games on 20 points, you know, you're six points behind Chelsea in sixth place. Now, granted, there's Tottenham on 26 with 15 played. There's Man City on 26 with 14 played. You know, COVID is uh, playing havoc with the with the calendar a little bit. Villa on 26 with 14 played. Everton on 29 with 15 played. So, but but the point is the table is compressed and messy and weird, and there's points to be dropped by teams and points to be gained by teams. So, like, in your view, as we continue this sort of soft run, you know, we now have West Brom, we now have um, Palace, uh, Newcastle. Yeah, right? West Brom, Newcastle, and Palace, then Southampton. What is realistic to start to target? Are there targets up the table that Arsenal can and should be starting to think about now? Or is this really just baby steps, crawl, walk, run, next game only? I mean, I know that that's the cliche, but us as fans, can we start to turn our sights back to resurrecting this league season into something that has possible rewards for us at the end of it? I think the most important thing is... um... We've refound a bit of ourselves. I think that's the most important thing because now we're looking like, you know, a little bit more like an Arsenal team. You know, um, we know we got problems. We know we got lumpy squad. We know we got a few people that shouldn't be there. We know we got a few people we know are going. We know we got some people a year to go in the summer that are not being spoken to. And so, what this period has really revealed to us is maybe the size of the project. It's starkly revealed that to us which made us question, have we got the right people in charge for this side of a job? You know, it really has, you know. And to, you know, to see Kolasnik go today, uh, nothing against him, as you quite rightly said earlier, but it's uh, a sign that Arsenal are absolutely tuned into the size of the job. Oh, it's encouraging, isn't it? After saying, after yeah. not being able to get loans done like in three months this summer and, and complaints that the bandwidth was stretched and we couldn't make deals done, getting a loan done before the window even opens is a hell of a good yeah. sign, isn't it? Yeah, and it may, it's a strange one. I don't think we could get all we need to get done in the summer, which is obvious. But the summer wasn't really the summer, was it? It was, it was October, was it? October 17th, you know, and that's mm-hmm. when the window ended. And here we are on the 31st of January and it's open again. So there may have been a lack of days of attitude. I don't know, it's only six weeks, a couple of months, wherever it is, we're back again, you know. And But obviously we saw the impact to the squad when we're losing with a lumpy squad and people feeling disenfranchised. And we saw the potential, we don't know, but we have got some good guesses, potential impact to team spirit and splits and dressing room and all these things come into our minds when we lose games, right? Mm. Was it? Joe Davis, well, who's, the, who's the LA Raiders guy? Says just win, baby, just win, and it really doesn't uh, mean Al something. Davis, yep. mm-hmm. Al Davis, thank you, mate. Um, and, and I've always kept that in my mind: just win, just win, and everything looks good. The culture looks good. The back room looks good. When they start making moves, they look good. It's amazing how results orientated we are. It's amazing how much recency we all have in our analysis. I mean, Joe Willock's probably been our. Europa League player of the year so far and now we're thinking we're, we're concerned about him you know I think when I was a bit younger I used to know a lot of footballers and I sat down with a, a Premier League footballer league, and I sat down and he just scored a hat-trick and all people coming up to him in the, in the bar and he was like really cool and I was buzzing for him oh this is brilliant how excited are you and he, he said Clive he said I'm not going to get excited because as soon as I miss a couple of chances so I'm dropped for a couple of weeks they'll all forget me really quickly. Mm. And I, it really bothered me that did. 
So now we're not talking about Pepe at all. We're not talking about Willock at all. We're not talking about Aubameyang. <laughs> We've just completely dismissed them. We forget people so quickly. People that can contribute. And it's a good thing that we have these players coming in because they're going to force these joggers who've been maybe taking it for granted. They can't do that anymore. They've got to turn up. It's a good thing that we've got some new depth in our squad because now we've got Smith Rowe in the squad. And Danny Sabias, mate, you, you're going to be off. You can't stand in this way anymore because we've got a young kids being in our club for 10 years. You've got to go. We don't own you. You've got to go. William, I'm not sure about you. You're going to go. You know, and, and this is good that we've got players forcing their way in. I think it's been a real lesson to me. I know for certain, to me, um, as you analyse, you know, you're trying to distance yourself a little bit from the emotion of it all. When you go through a series like this, of the worst results I can ever remember, you can't help but go through the pain. You can't help but go through the emotion. And I think it's really something for all of us to think about, really. The analysis when it comes to results and trying to disinfront, you know, disconnect ourselves from that and still see the, the job in hand. Mm. Um, and I've got to try to get better at it. <laughs> and uh, It's hard, man. It's hard sometimes when you when you love something like this. And, but it's important that we do that as a group, you know, not just us, you know, everybody. We tend to go a certain place when we're under stress. And why do we expect the players not to do the same? You know? yeah. So, um I think it's really—it's been a really revealing, interesting period the last sort of six to eight weeks, and I'm just so hopeful that the corner's been turned. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the hard thing, right, is that you want a corner to be turned. We all want a corner to be turned because we love this club, and it has been giving us a severe amount of odds over the past several months. And so, like, two results, two important results, two results that change the face of the season— the team has to confirm these results with performances and results in the next few games that show that what we are seeing is genuine, you know, and, and determines that this is signal, not noise. And I, I think that we have a real opportunity to do that. And it's why I sort of feel for our Ted in a way, because trying to rotate the squad at a time when you really want to confirm this run and confirm this rebirth of the team is going to take a lot of character. Um, you know, I mean, let's not forget the Europa League knockouts are a way to get into the Champions. It's going to be very, very hard this year because, first of all, we've drawn a good team in Benfica, and second of all, there's a lot of good teams left in the Europa League, and I wouldn't give us a lot of chance to do it, but it is a chance. And, you know, that's going to put extra pressure, extra strain on the squad. And I think what's hard, in a way, what's ironic, you guys, if we were still sitting 16th come February, 15th, you're not too worried about relegation, but you could say, that's it. The whole season of the Europa League now, we are not focused at all on the Premier League. The good players play the Europa League. But what if we do confirm this run and we get three wins from the next four and suddenly we're sitting, God forbid, three points off a Europa League spot in the league and you're saying, who knows what the sky's the limit is with this weird, wacky season and the way the results are going. Now suddenly he does have to balance European football in the league again. And that's, that's that much harder. So the irony is by winning, he's going to make the selection headache uh, greater as we get into February and beyond. So we'll see how that plays out, but I would certainly welcome that. I'll, I'll finish with this, Paul, simply that in a way, I mean, Shaka was sort of man of the match against Chelsea, so I, I don't want to dis disparage him, dismiss him, but like the most exciting thing for me here is the impending return of party because I would say that this, this run of a couple of games where we've played okay and won has come in spite of the midfield, not necessarily because of it, now you can turn around and say, Elliot, how can you say Shaka is man of the match for Chelsea and then say it's in spite of the midfield? 
Well, I mean, he scores a worldy free kick and he has a beautiful pass that sets up a, a goal. And so, yes, that that's huge. But in general, I think the midfield has still been a weakness. Certainly, Elneny has been a weakness. And I think Shaka has done fine. But we're sort of building play and playing well through the brilliance of Saka, Martinelli, and ESR with a little bit of help from the midfield. And then I think our weaknesses running back towards our goal have still been apparent. So I guess what I would ask you, Paul, is like, both in terms of the window and in terms of the return of party, is that so, so important for us right now? Because I think if I want to point to reasons why I wouldn't necessarily trust this run we, we're on, this little mini run, it would be because I still think the midfield has been has been a deficiency. But with party coming back and a window opening and links to like a Julian Brandt, for example, you know, it, it could suddenly go from liability to strength. Is Is that really the next thing that has to happen for us to start playing even better football and sort of confirm this run? Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, Chaka was mostly great against Chelsea. He was kind of plodding in this game, and that's a nat- that's the nature of the the different opponents, the different yeah. well, can I, can dynamics I say of the game. One games? thing, Paul, too, just, this isn't a criticism of Chaka yeah. so much as, like, we know who that player is. He's not really yep. changing at this point, right? So, like, he'll have oh. some good games, some bad games. But I don't think any of us would say Shaq is a strength in our squad at this point, you know? No, he's not. Well, he has his he has games that suit him, and most of the time he's okay. Uh, but, you know, this is Arsenal. Uh, you go, Like, how do you break down a low-block team? Probably by putting Cesc Fabregas in the middle of your midfield, right? You need somebody who's going to do something a bit different at Arsenal. Um, and, you know, that's not going to be Granite Chaka. If the game's a little more open, he can spray it around. Uh, he still has, it turns out, a wand of a left foot. Um, <clears throat> but what he doesn't have in the game against a Brighton, in the, especially in the first half, I'm not, I'm not sure he came to the fore in the second half, but he, he could have because the game opened up a little bit. It just not the way it played out for him. In the first half, it was stodgy. We were stodgy. Mm. They were in this low block. West Brom could be the same. You know, he's not perfect for those games at all. Um, party, much preferred to see him in the lineup in general mm. uh, and certainly against a West Brom. But you need those. It doesn't have to be Chaka, but you need a couple of jokers in the pack midfield-wide and I think Smith Rowe can absolutely be one of those. We need another one uh, in the window if we can get an, another attacking option because we need options, slightly different types of players. You know, I actually have the, oh, but it would take minutes away from Smith Rowe, which is a great thing to have because it means Smith Rowe is doing really well right now. But it's bullshit, right? You you need those options. You need slightly different types of players. Um, we, You know, we've, we've had these... Uh, weird jigsaw pieces for our midfield for a long time. It's just very hard to find any two players uh, who can act as your two pivots who work. Party is one of them. I'd love to get somebody like Basuma, uh, ironically, in the spotlight. Probably too many people are talking about him right now for him to be cheap and Brighton wouldn't let him go. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want another DMCM type in this window, but we could probably use one. We just absolutely have to get an attacking mid unless we're all convinced that Smith Rowe can play at this level and above every game for the rest of the season, and that would be nuts. So we, we need something additional, um, like an Awar type, 
uh, if we can get that. Won't be a war. That's done as far as I'm concerned. So it's an important window if they can find somebody. Obviously, the talks around ISCO, it'd be another one of those loans from Spain in January that have worked so well for us. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question, but we don't, you know, Chak is okay uh, in, in most games. He's great in some. He's he has the red mist in others every every tenth game or so. That's that's Chaka. Yeah, look, I'm I'm inclined to want to pick a fight with you about Chaka, but it's the end of the year. It's the end of the pod, and I'm not going to do it. So, Clive, I'll just finish by letting <laughs> really? you get a. Did I say something contentious there? Yeah, just what? any any comment you make that that claims that Chaka's not bad bothers me, but that's just you me. You kind of said he wasn't bad. At he was the a man start. of the match against Chelsea. He was. I, I just yeah, but he also we, said he wasn't bad generally. He's not a bad... You know what is? This is the thing that I think bothers me a little bit. Is that like We are so hungry for redemption arcs for our players and to like our players that even after years of seeing who they are and knowing their flaws and their strengths, we still sort of want to see, see something there. I, I guess what I'm saying is Granite Jack is not my, a terrible player. My praise player, of him wasn't exactly overflowing. No, it was. That's fair. Okay. Well, let's let's not do it. Let's just move on. Um, because we're <laughs> we're sort of in a good same place here, and I feel like we should we yeah, should yeah. not t- not uh, test that. Clive, I'll let you just get a final word before we say goodbye. I mean, I, I, w- the window is a chance for us to strengthen the midfield. I've I've gone on record saying I don't know that I trust the Adu Arteta team to recruit properly, but I mean, I think I, even I have to accept that they're not going to just do nothing in January, or at least I doubt it, which is an ironic twist from the years when we used to say we'd be surprised if they did do anything, but the return of Thomas party. I mean, I, I, I think that could take this little silver lining shoot of recovery and really confirm it and really make it, uh, more obvious and more durable because I think the fragility with this recovery is that the midfield is kind of getting it done. And I mean, even if you want to say Shaq has been fine, I don't think Elneny has at all. So like, is the return of party for you going to be potentially the, the oil in this engine now? Yeah, we need, we need one or two more, as Paul alluded to. And I looked at the stats for the Chelsea game. I think um, Shaka passed to uh, Murray about three times in Chelsea game. It's ten times in the Brighton game. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at Elneny, I think it's four times to holding. It's 14 times to holding in the Brighton game. And this is the sort of stuff that we can't allow them to do. Someone needs to shout on the pitch and say, Oi, get it forward. You know, seriously, it's just we fall into this into this play, and I just think they just play the the nearest and safest thing. They don't they don't go onto the pitch and say we're going to push this car forward. They just play until they get a rocket out their ass and they start playing forward. And as soon as they play forward, everything starts to go. So for me, everything revolves around that centre midfield, and Arteta has shown potentially he's a four two three one guy. I'm not sure. If he's a 4-2-3-1 guy, let's get a proper double pivot in place that can get it, win it, drive, carry, win, win the races, cover fullbacks comfortably. If they go to the three in the background, they can stand in wide spaces, not get run. Let's get proper players that can do that job. We've got a number of young attacking mids. You know, there's 10, 11, 7 types in our academy coming through. So you don't want to overload that space. We can't expect... Smith Road to play every single game. We can't expect Saka to play every single game. So much like Chelsea, we need another couple in there, really, in my opinion. And let me upgrade up front. And I think then we'll start to see a proper team. You know, we need a we need a right centre back for sure, in my opinion. 
I mean, the, the young left back to um, cover for Tierney, you know, and maybe some players going to have to go because you can't keep all, can't keep them all. And potentially, you know, I don't want to say, but potentially we might need a right back. You know, I'm, I'm not sure about all three of the right backs we have at the club at the moment, and it's not, but it's not a priority. If a couple of them stay, that that's absolutely fine. But if we're serious, and maybe in, in phase two, that needs to change as well, just to take us to a new level or get a different type of player to compete with Bellerin. I'm not sure that Maitland Niles and, and Cedric are quite competing in any position. You're not convinced by Cedric, huh? <laughs> I'm not convinced by Cedric. Maitland Niles. Get, get, get it in there before Niles. we say goodbye. <laughs> Maitland Niles is a player that I like the potential of. If my coach's head on, he's a sort of player. Him and Pepe are the players that I think if I I would love to get to their level. Do you know what I mean? They're quite, they're quite exciting while being equally frustrating. And I would feel... I would have failed if I couldn't get them to play well. They got a lot of good stuff. Do you know what I mean? And so they that's why I, they, my eyes always go to them. But um, I also recognise they frustrate the hell out of people, so I'm not going to post, you know, stick on them for at the future of the club. They got work to do. Mm-hmm. They got work to do. And that's similar much like other players. And other players should not get those positions just because of their names. They should get their positions because of how they play. Bellerin sat down for two, three weeks, came back fresh. Had a great game against Chelsea. A dodgy first half against Brighton. Recovered really well in the second half. Good. Well done. Keep it going. Don't play well. You come out. And that's how it should be. And we, you know, we've now got a bit of depth in the squad. A little, but proper quality depth, you know. It's going to force some people to play well. So a lot of work to do, Elliot. But I'm just reading online now that Socrates is potentially going to Turkey or Napoli. And the negotiations should be done in this couple of days. So Arsenal are moving. The squatters are on their way out, mate. So um, let's the have a look. Flushable turds are getting flushed. <laughs> They're I, moving, so maybe that critique of Edu and Co. We might have to just swallow that a little bit. <laughs> a I'll tell you this time, much. We'll see. When Party comes back into the team and he gets the ball and he looks up and there's Smith Rowe standing five yards ahead of him in space and available, he's going to think he's in a new club because yeah, it's well, it's all the difference point. in the world going to make. Can't wait for it. So, uh, well, that'll do it. We'll have tons of window content, uh, not about windows, but about transfers um, all throughout January, both here and on the Patreon. So hopefully you will join us one or both places as you see fit. But most, most importantly of all, fuck off 2020. Get the hell out of here. Never come back. Thankfully, the way time flows, it won't. Uh, I am reliably informed. But if you want to watch Tenet and tell me I'm wrong, that'd be fine. Um, look, we love you. Uh, it has been... Not a pleasure of a year, but the pleasure of the year has been the chance to share uh, these conversations, these discussions, these interactions together uh, through the podcast, through social media and beyond. And I, I just cannot wait for the opportunity where we have the chance to get together in person to do more things together. There was a live event planned this year that didn't happen uh, for reasons that should be obvious, um, not least of which is that I'm not legally allowed to enter the United Kingdom, uh, not because of that thing that happened in the past, but because of the pandemic. So anyway... Um, we, do, we just love you and, and appreciate having you here and, and hope that you're doing well and, and have a wonderful 2020. A very happy new year. And uh, Paul, same to you. Uh, Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, bud. Yeah, likewise to everybody. Yep. And and Clive. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. And the same. And thanks to every, all the listeners for allowing me to go through my process and not give me too much stick. So much appreciated. And happy new year to everybody. Well said. Well, happy new year, everybody. Goodbye, 2020. Hello, 2021. And up the Arsenal. We love you. We will talk to you after Arsenal 10. West Brom News.